Hopefully you, hopefully you got to see um, our cafe when you walked in this morning. Everybody get to see our cafe. It's coming along. Praise Jesus. I guess you can clap. That's a cafe clap. It sounded like a golf clap. Um, but it is coming along. We're so glad we had so many roadblocks uh, for being able to get that moving between permits and supplies, everything we have ordered for this project. We've heard it'll be 10 to 12 weeks because of COVID. It'll be 10 to 12 weeks because of COVID. Uh, so we're just so grateful to finally start seeing some movement there and get everything open. And I'm really looking forward to having a place. And people have said, do we need a cafe? Let me answer that very simply for you. No, we don't. We do not need a cafe, but we do need a place where we can fellowship together. We do need a place where we can sit down across from each other and be family to one another. And that was the heart behind the cafe. And we're really excited for that to open up. Well, I'm going to get into my message as we close out this uh, series that we've been in called Love and Money. Uh, I did give you all fair warning last week about Valentine's Day. Guys, I really hope you got that one right. Um, I haven't heard of anybody, and none of you came in with black and blue marks, so I'm, I'm believing that you did the right thing there. Uh, but we're just going to close this out, and we've been talking through this entire thing. You know, what really matters when we're, when we're talking about love and money, what really matters? Obviously, the month of February with Valentine's Day, everything is greeting cards. And as soon as Christmas is over, Walmart has all their Valentine's Day stuff up. And I don't think Valentine's Day was even here yet. And they've got all their Easter stuff up. And I think right after that, they go back to Halloween or something. I don't know. But we, we have been talking about this and looking at what it means uh, to love and what, how do we prioritize God in our lives? How do we make sure that we are in the place where we're not allowing our desire for things, our stuff to get in the way? Uh, but today I wanted to finish up with an idea that is, is slightly different, but that goes into this as well. And it's the idea of what are the things about God that we love and, and how is it that our approach matters? And so we're going to go to Acts chapter 19 and read verses 11 to 16 this morning. Uh, but we're going to talk about a guy here. Uh, his name is Sceva, okay? And he has seven sons. And, and even though we see that Sceva is a leading priest who knows about God, who's been raised up uh, to know things about how to love God and serve the Lord, his sons don't really follow in his footsteps. And we'll talk more about that. But here's what it says in verses 11 through 16. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation saying, I command you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Now, I've heard of a lot of whoopings in my life. I have never heard of anybody getting whooped so bad that they ran away naked. This is a bad beating, okay? This is a bad moment for these sons of Sceva. Now the term here, obviously, to say that they went away naked is maybe not to be taken so much literally as it is figuratively to mean that they were shamed. They ran away shamed from that position. They thought they could go in. They thought they could command these evil spirits using the same things that they had seen before and, and realizing that, hey, we're, we've seen dad do this, right? 
We've seen dad go out and, and say that this is the way it's going to be, and, 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 and dad believes in God, and dad follows God, and if we just do what dad does, then we'll have the same outcome that dad has. The, the problem is that following God and receiving the power of God in your life isn't something that is inherited from generation to generation. Because unless you choose to have a personal relationship with God, maybe, you know, your parents or grandparents or somebody who's close to you, that's not going to have an effect on your relationship with God, your closeness with God. But these seven sons of Sceva, they were really not so much in love with God as they were with the idea of God's power. God's got power. And they really loved the signs and wonders. They really loved all the things that God was capable of doing. And, And if we're honest, we really like signs and wonders too. We really like it when God does something miraculous because in a way, it proves to us that God is powerful, that he's over and above our situations, that he can do things that we can't do. And so we love the signs and wonders. And if we're not careful, we can become just like the seven sons of Sceva and begin to look at the things of God and to love the the power of God more than God himself. Or maybe to put it in another term, that instead of seeking God's face, we just get into the place of constantly seeking God's hand. God, I want a handout. Will you give me this? Will you give me this? Will you do this? Will you fix this? Will you change this? Will you overcome this? Will you help this? Will you help this? And in the midst of doing that, losing sight of what it means to have a relationship with God himself. These seven sons, they, and I love the word that it uses here, they tried to wield the power of God as though it was an incantation. They tried to say, well, if we say the right thing, right? Because dad says that. And if we say that, then we'll have the same thing because we want to see the same signs and wonders. So all we've got to do to see the same signs and wonders is to do what they've done in the past. Can I tell you that we in the church are just as culpable thinking this way? If you've grown up in the church, how many of you have been in church more than 20 years? Oh, wow, a lot of you, okay. How many of you have been in church more than 30 years? We're going to see who's old up in this place. (laughs) We'll stop there for the love of those who are in the room. Because we're talking about love, right? If you've been in church for a long time, and I was sharing this in the first service, there have probably been times in your past, in the history of your relationship with God, where you have seen incredible things happen. You know, I've heard people say so many times, I'd love to see church like it was in the old days. I'd love to see church like it was back then. And and I can say, I'm not saying that tongue in cheek because I remember being a teenager, Jess and I, uh, we went to the same church when we were teens. um, And and the church that we were part of was experiencing an incredible revival in the 90s. I mean, I know everybody was all up about the big one that was going on in Florida, but there was one in Eastern Pennsylvania, in Hamburg, Pennsylvania, that was incredible. And the power of God was moving in such a way that people were being miraculously healed of cancers and I mean, all kinds of sickness and diseases, the power of God was moving and it really shaped Jess and me to be able to say there is a real true God and he's powerful. But you know what happens coming off of a season where we see the power of God move is sometimes a generation raises up just like the seven sons of Sceva that says, I want the same miracles. I want the same wonders. So maybe if we just do exactly what they did, we'll get the same outcome. But church, it doesn't work that way. The power of God is not in the songs we sang in that season. The power of God is not in the way we dressed in that season. 
The power of God is not in any of those things. It only comes through true and right relationship with God. And these are the things that we have to be pursuing. And Jesus talks so often about how it would be wrong for the people to marvel over the power of God instead of the presence of God, relationship with God. If you read in Luke chapter 10, he sends out his disciples and they come back and they're all excited and they're like, man, when we use the name of Jesus, demons run. And Jesus looks at me and says, don't be so excited about the fact that you're able to cast out demons, but instead be overjoyed by the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He says, you're focused a little bit too much on the power, guys. This is not just about the power. You have relationship with God. That's what you should marvel at. He goes on in the next chapter to slam the Pharisees, who were the religious elite of that day. And he says, you guys, all you care about is power. All you care about is authority. You love when you walk into a room and people stand up and say, take my seat. And you go to a banquet and you get the head seat at the head table because of your position. But then he slams them and he says, you get all that, but you don't love me. With your mouths, you worship me, but your hearts are far from me. And church, if we're not careful, we could experience the same kind of fallout to be beaten into shame as a church that loves the idea of God instead of loving God himself. And I look back in the history of things that I saw as a teenager, and I think to myself, I would love to see that again. Jess and I, we were talking about this last night on our way home from the game dinner, uh, which by the way, our game dinner was amazing. I don't know how many of you got to be a part of that last night, but what a fantastic time. Incredible turnout from our community. We're on our way home and we were just talking about, and Jess and I think about this because we've got kids that are about the age we were when Hamburg went through revival. And we think to ourselves, you know what? The only hope for our children is to experience a move of God for themselves like we did, because that's what shaped our lives. That's what made us love Jesus. That's what made us choose him over self. That's what made us choose him over anything else in the world. It wasn't that our church was super cool. It didn't even have a cafe. (laughs) It does now, but it didn't have one. It had pews and an organ. Can you believe it, an organ? But the power of God moved so awesomely. And I tell you, I think about that for my kids, for your kids, for your teenagers, for your young kids, for the people of our community, if we're not careful. And the only thing we're ever bent on doing is what they did in the past. Saying the words like God's an incantation. Let's just go through the motions. Because in the past, when they had worship services and a sermon, the power of God moved. In the past, when they sang these songs or did a key change or something like that, the Spirit of God moved. And guys, it doesn't come that way. It comes when we become passionate about having relationship with Jesus. But after this beating takes place, we read in verses 17 and 18, that the story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city in the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. There was a reverence and awe that entered that region. Because they had witnessed something incredible. 
They had witnessed people who by the power of God had done incredible miracles. We read in these first couple verses, it literally says, the power of God was on Paul in such a way that if a handkerchief touched his skin and then was touched on someone else, that they would be healed of a sickness or a demon would be driven from them. Can we, can we just take that in for a second? Just a handkerchief. And it says these are the kind of things that are happening, but then we've got these guys who are seven PKs, Pastor's kids, okay? And these pastor's kids who are thinking, we've seen dad do it, we can do it. We saw dad do it, we can do it. We'll just say the same thing. And they go in and they try to wield the power of God like it's an incantation, and they get their butts kicked, literally. And church, I look around and I see to myself, are we in the place where we as a church, the church, the global church, is maybe getting our butt kicked a little bit because we've become a little bit more in love with the idea of God than with God himself. We're a little more in love with the idea of what God represents. He represents love and he represents mercy and he represents grace. Maybe for us, and this is something we as a church really value, he represents community. He represents a brotherhood, a sisterhood. He represents family. And maybe somewhere along the way, we get a little bit more excited about the idea of what God represents and we lose sight of what it means to pursue God himself. Jeremiah 29, 13 says that you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He didn't say you're going to find me if you go to an AG church. You'll find me if you go to a Brethren church, a Lutheran church, a Methodist church. You'll find me if you sing this group of songs. You'll find me if your pastor is very charismatic or if he's bald or he, none of those things. He said, you're going to find me when you seek me. That word fear that's used there is, is reverence. How many of you have something you're afraid of? Spiders or, right? Like what, what is, anybody afraid of spiders? Okay. Heights. Anybody afraid of Heights couple of you? Like, what else is there to be afraid of? I don't know. What, what do you got? Snakes. snakes? Oh, brother. Okay, afraid of snakes. So we've all got things that we're slightly afraid of, but, but here's what the fear means in, in that rationale, okay? It's a healthy level of fear. I, I like to say I have a healthy fear of heights because I have fallen many times in my life. Okay. And so when I come upon something that it's like, Hey, it's really high. I always make my wife nervous. It's one of my favorite things to do is to try to get as close to the edge as I can. And she'll just turn and walk away. She's like, Oh my goodness, I can't even watch this. And she'll walk away. And then cause Roman's right next to me going, I want to dad. <laughs> That's sorry. Sorry. But I've got a healthy fear of height because I know it's more powerful than me. If I fall 35, 40, 80, hundred feet, I'm probably going to die. The same is true of the ocean. I have a healthy fear of the ocean. Uh, in 2020, uh, we went to Myrtle Beach as a family. And as we got into the ocean, uh, I was telling my kids, listen, there's this thing called riptides. And what happens is it'll try to pull you out. Do not try to swim back to the shore. Make sure that you swim next to the shore until you get out of the riptide. I'm explaining all this to them. And they're all like, okay, dad. So we're out there and Meredith and I, we're kind of swimming and just having fun. Well, all of a sudden, Meredith and I, not like crazy anything, we just start getting pulled out to sea. And we both feel it. And Meredith's like, Dad, Dad, what do we do? And I'm sitting there going, Dad, Dad, I don't know. 
We need somebody who knows. And I'm trying not to panic. I'm like, it's okay, Mayor. It's okay. Just swim that way. And so we start to swim. And I'm like, in my head, I'm panicking. I'm like, okay, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And we start swimming. We finally get in. Nobody died, as you may have guessed. Um, but I get to the edge, and we both look at each other. And we're like, let's just sit on the beach for a little bit. <laughs> and if that doesn't give you a healthy fear, watch Shark Week. A reverence and awe came over the city because there was a real power of God at work and there was a fake movement of people who were trying to do the same thing. Let's just be honest. It was terribly embarrassing for the group that was faking it. It was terribly embarrassing for the group that was faking it. Can I just be open and honest with you? Sometimes I feel a little bit of that embarrassment. I feel a little bit of the embarrassment that I'm like, God, why aren't we seeing the things that you said we would see? Why aren't we seeing the miracles you said we would see? Why aren't we seeing people changed and set free? Why aren't we seeing the sick healed, captive set free? Why aren't we seeing that, God? And I just sense in my spirit that there's this this move within us that if we're not careful, that rather than having reverence and awe for God, we'll just be a part of something that we think is enjoyable or that makes us feel good. I don't know about you, but I've been in services where it seems like every hair on my body stands up and it's like, that's the presence of the Lord. And then you go into other services and it's like, I, I didn't feel anything. I don't feel anything. Where's God? Has he left? Is he gone? Is he busy? Did I do something wrong? What's going on? I don't feel anything. And so we get discouraged and we stop pursuing God because really what we're focused on is how we feel about it. In church, there needs to be a reverence that comes upon us in which we say, God, I want to pursue you more than anything else. But after this fear spread, it says this in verses 19 and 20 that a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their books of incantation and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and it had a powerful effect. You know, there are times that God calls upon us to sacrifice for him. Following Jesus is sacrificial. In fact, Jesus said, unless you take part in my suffering, you have no part of me. We read this when Jesus was talking with his disciples uh, right after the, the rich young ruler came. And he's saying, you know, whoever's left father and mother and homes and everything will receive a hundred times these and get all of this and have family and brothers and sisters plus suffering. And we're all about the idea of like, okay, yeah, cool. I'll give up things for God and he'll do this and this and this and this. But like, is there a way to not do the suffering thing? Can I, you know, because we just don't like that. It's not fun. Can I avoid the suffering thing? But Jesus says so clearly in Luke 14, he says, if, if you are not going to partake in my suffering, you haven't partaken in me. Meaning there's a price. There's a value in serving God. There's a cost for choosing God over self. And at some point in our lives, getting the place of making the decision to say, I would do anything for love. 
I would do anything to show my love for Jesus. I would do anything to show my love for the lost. I would do anything to show my love for my neighbors or for my family members or for my friends. I would do anything. I'd make any sacrifice necessary. I would do anything for love. But unfortunately, we as a church have sometimes taken on the meatloaf version. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Right? Because we've got limits. We've got limits. I'm willing to love Jesus, but I'm, I'm only willing to go so far to love Jesus. This week, I had friends of mine who were staying with me. Um, Matt and Randy McCumber. Oh, Jess and I, we've been friends with them for 12, 14 years. And uh, they shared in, in Wednesday night how the, God has called them to become missionaries in Israel. They're not a ministry family. Matt didn't go to Bible college. He was working a regular everyday job as a warehouse manager. And God spoke to him and said, I want you to go and reach the people of Israel with the message of the gospel. And, and I remember they had come to visit us in November of 2020 and they stayed at our house. We all got COVID. It was wonderful. I remember Matt talking to me about, you know, things are going so good. And, and you know, I remember them, they, they lived uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they've got this big, beautiful home. It's gorgeous. And Matt's showing me pictures of his brand new Dodge Ram pickup truck. It's the Warlock edition. It's beautiful. Loves this truck. It's amazing. It's all blacked out and it's so cool. And then God calls him into ministry. And I remember watching, because, you know, you see things on Facebook, but, he, you know, he, he shared, he said, Today is the day where loving Jesus becomes a reality because I have to sell my truck to follow God's will for my life. For his wife, today is the day where following Jesus is really going to be where the rubber meets the road. I've got to surrender my dream home that I hope to raise my children in. This beautiful home that is just, it's perfect. It's what everybody would dream of owning. I've got to give that up to follow Jesus. Then yesterday, as they were packing up to leave, um, one of the things that I tolerate about my friend Matt is that he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. But he came downstairs, and he'd had a chance to meet with Pastor Tyler and me a few times this week, and he knew that Pastor Tyler was a, a Cowboys fan. And Matt comes down the stairs, and he's got this, you know, kind of sheepish look on his face. And he says, hey, I've got something. And he's got like a shirt that's wadded up, and it, it's a, a really nice DeMarcus Ware Cowboys jersey. And he said, would you give this to, to Tyler? And I'm like, well, why do you want to give it to Tyler? And he's like, I don't need it where I'm going. And I, can I just be honest? I felt like a little heart sick when he did that. I was just like, wow. You're in the place where it's like, I, I'll do anything for love, God. I I mean, this is my life. This is all I've ever known. These are my four baby girls. This is the life we built, the house we have, everything that was comfy and cozy. And now we're prepping to go to the other side of the world and we're t teaching our kids, hey, people are probably going to spit on us and curse us here because the name of Jesus is not welcome. And it just really hit me that it's like, this is the level that my friend says, I'm willing to do anything to love Jesus. I'm willing to do anything to love Jesus. And church, I think it's something that for each of us, we've really got to come to that place in our lives. 
You know, there might be things that were like, I, I just don't think I could give this up for Jesus. I don't think I could surrender this for Jesus. I like these things. I'm comfortable in these things. But these guys here, these books of incantations, the, the sorcery, this witchcraft, they're like, we saw the real power of God move. And guess what? It wasn't this garbage that was in our books. We saw the real power of God move, and it wasn't anything like people thought it was going to be. We saw the real power of God move, and it wasn't through just some generational pass-me-down. It was through people who really love and honor and fear Jesus and who follow him with all their hearts. And they were so moved by this. It says they brought millions of dollars worth of their junk and just said, this stuff is worthless. Heap it into a bonfire and burn it up because the only thing that really matters is Jesus. Church, talk about a moment where love and money hit the road and come together. And I think to myself, and I'm just, this is me, right? I've got a significant investment here. Shouldn't I try to recoup some of my money? I'll sell it. I'm not going to use it anymore, but I'll sell it, right? I'll get rid of it. And maybe you even tell yourself, I'll sell this and I'll give the money to the Lord. Right? That'll be the right thing to do. But these guys, that's not where they were at. They said, listen, in light of who Jesus is and what he's done and having relationship with him, this stuff is junk. And church... I believe God's called us to that same mentality. That there shouldn't be a single thing in our lives that we're like, hey, I couldn't give this up for the Lord. I couldn't surrender this for the Lord. And listen, you hear us all the time in the church. We talk about giving to the Lord. We talk about tithes and offerings. And I always, I, I never want you to think that, that our only goal in that is that we've just got bills to pay. It's not. That's not the problem. The problem is it's a heart issue. It's a surrender issue. It's a God, your first issue. It's a God, I give everything to you issue. It's my needs, my wants, my desires are second in comparison to your kingdom issue. And these guys, they took hold of it. Because seven sons tried to treat Jesus like he was just like any other incantation. And a demon looks at them and says, who do you think you are? You're going to come up in this house and try to command me by the name of Jesus? You're going to come up in here and try to command me. You have no authority here because you don't have Jesus. Church, it's something we really need to consider in our lives, and I want to challenge you to do so. Is your pursuit of God more concerned with what you get out of it, the power of God, the signs and wonders, the shock and awe, or is it because that through the power of God and in your lifetime, you've been so in awe of who God is that you just want relationship with him? Is he getting a hold of your heart in such a way that you're living surrendered, that everything in your life, I would give this up. Lord, you tell me and it's gone. I would give it away for your glory. I would surrender even all the way down to my football jersey that means nothing, that I could easily stuff into a suitcase, but it doesn't matter because I'm not going to need it on the other side of God's plan for my life. It's just dead weight. Do we love Jesus that much? Could we be that surrendered? Is he worth living for and worth dying for? You bow your heads with me. God, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives and thank you for the challenge that you put on so many of our lives. 
to follow you, to be surrendered to you, to love you and serve you with every fiber of our being. And God, I say this with with absolute truth. I'm so grateful for the times that you have given me the opportunity to surrender something for you, to give something up, to share in your suffering, to walk through a little bit of hurt for the glory of the kingdom of God. What a privilege it is, Jesus. But I do pray, Lord, for each of us that we would become so kingdom-minded that we would take our eyes off of the tradition. We would take our eyes off of thinking that a move of God's going to come by just saying and doing the right things, by invoking this, this idea instead of a pursuit of you. God, draw us into a place where we are so consumed by who you are. Your love for us, your mercy for us, your willingness to go to the cross for us. God, if that isn't enough, I don't know what will be. Help us to live surrendered to you, Jesus. As we're in prayer this morning, I just want to ask you if you're here, and maybe you'd say, I'm, I'm in a place where I know that I want to begin to pursue God for relationship over power, over prestige, over the things that I might get out of it. I just want Jesus. That maybe hasn't been your pursuit, but just in this moment, that's what I want. I want Jesus. If that's you, I just want to ask you to slip up my hand so I can pray for you this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can I ask you to stand as we prepare to close in in prayer? In a moment, I want to lead you into a prayer by which if you confess it with your mouth, and believe it in your heart that the Bible tells us that you will be saved. But I want to be very clear about this. It's not an incantation. It's not a recipe for salvation. It has to come from your heart. Otherwise, you're just like the seven sons of Sceva, uttering words that you've heard somebody else say that have no power. The true power comes in true surrender, in true repentance, and saying, God, I want relationship with you from my own heart, not because my pastor said it, not because he told me the words to say, but because it's in my heart and I desire you. It's not an incantation. It's just a starting point for lifelong relationship with Jesus. But if you would be bold enough to choose it and share in Jesus' suffering, then you'd be able to give him glory and thank him for all that he's done. So will you pray this with me? Father in heaven, Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for me, to take my sin and shame, and to save me. I invite you into my heart and into my life. I desire relationship with you and not religion. I want to choose you and to love you with all my heart. In Jesus' name. God, I pray for those who were in here this morning that said that that's my prayer. That's my heart's desire. I do not want to be a religious person. I want a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to be part of a generation that just says and does the right things. I want to press into Jesus. I don't want to be part of a generation that plays church, who has rehearsed lines on how it's done. I want to press into Jesus. 
And God, I pray that that would become the desperate cry of our hearts, more desperate than anything else in this world, that we would not be satisfied until we have come to the place of pressing in to Jesus. Relationship with the God who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross and to pay the ransom, the blood price for our sins so that we could go free. God, we rebuke religion. And we choose you instead. We press into you and desire to know you. To be in awe of you, God, and not just what you do or have done or what we hope you'll do in the future. We just want more of you. And I pray that that will be enough for each of us, Lord. God, I pray that as you send us out today, that it will be as a people who are transformed by relationship, who are living filled with the Holy Spirit, even the same way that Paul was, that we would see miraculous signs and wonders to accompany our pursuit of you and that would not be consumed by a pursuit of those things. And so God, we give you glory. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, it's not an incantation. It's your life to live, your choice to make, your walk to walk, your journey to go through with Jesus. Choose him today. Love on each other. Be a blessing to each other. Share in the love of the Lord. Our Duncan with the Pastors is over in the Life Center. Love to invite you to be a part of that, to meet our staff, or let us meet you, and have a blessed day. We do have our prayer team is up here and is available. If you need prayer this morning, the altars are open, and they would love to pray with you.